Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. A little later in the show, we're going to have a really interesting conversation about a new podcast that's hosted by Wayne State University professor of African-American history, Kadada Williams, somebody I really enjoy having here on the show. This podcast is called Seizing Freedom, and it tells the story of African-Americans during the Civil War and Reconstruction eras. You are not going to want to miss that conversation. The podcast is fascinating, and Kadada's reasons for wanting to unearth these stories and share them, especially uh, during uh, Black History Month are are also really, really interesting. So that's going to get started at about half past the hour. But first, the pandemic has tested Michigan state government in ways that none of us could have imagined before 2020. And now people are starting to think about whether the systems for handling something like a deadly pandemic maybe ought to be changed because of the performance that we saw last year. The Michigan Department of Health and Human Services is a massive bureaucracy that has a $25 billion operating budget and serves a third of the state's residents. It includes the offices that respond to public health problems in Michigan, but it all wasn't always lumped in with all of the state's other human services offices. That was done, in fact, by Governor Rick Snyder, who merged all of those offices together just five years ago. In Crane's Detroit Business, senior editor Chad Livengood is making the argument now that maybe we ought to split that department up again so that Michigan can be better prepared to respond to public health crises in the future. Chad Livengood, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yeah. So uh, the the structure of state government is not exactly the most exciting issue for people to think about, but it's important. And I think we learned in the last year just how important it it can be. Explain why this story matters to people and why it affects people's lives. Yeah. So you have a a state department that now has got 14,000 employees uh, in Michigan Department of Health and Human Services um, they would on their on their uh, by themselves. So if you just took them outside of state government, they would be the 15th largest employer in Michigan. They would have more employees than Michigan State University, uh, which has well under 12,000, and just under uh, the the postal services uh, employment. So it's a, it's a very big, very big sprawling bureaucracy. There's a lot of components to it. They cover human services. They cover child protective services. They, they run a multi-billion-dollar um, insurance program for the poor called Medicaid, and and then they are also responsible for uh, making sure that the water uh, in, in people's uh, uh, you know uh, drinking water ends up safe and clean, and and they have to also respond to. Uh, outbreaks of, of communicable diseases. And I've watched this department very closely for a decade now uh, operate, particularly post-merger in 2015, and just take back a little step in, in his state of the state address that year. Then Governor Rick Snyder, fresh off a of re-election, announced his first um, uh, big initiative uh, in his second term was to, to merge this. 
And uh, you might recall, uh, Stephen, it was framed as the river of opportunity, um, that you could you know, put all these things together right. and it would be more efficient. It would be, respond better to citizens. And, and there was some definitely a, a, a case that there was some crossover between the two departments. They both managed a different part of the Medicaid system, uh, and that's a whole, you know, bigger animal. Um, uh, but, uh, um, but, but they, you know, they made this argument that this, 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 these two departments, uh, uh, I, you know, the way I put it was sort of uh, two. Uh, Rick Snyder kind of viewed it as two homogeneous corporations in need of a marriage, um, and so they did this merger. Um, it, it, there was some savings, of course, uh, in some of the of the of the uh, executive roles. Um, they didn't they didn't keep all the executive roles. And one of the more glaring things to me, sort of as, as sort of as observer of state government over uh, several years now, is um, these executive roles. Um, there is a very limited talent pipeline for that, and it's partly because of the compensation. Um, mm. And the Department of Health and Human Services director makes $182,070 a year. Now, that is a lot of money uh, for most people, um, but in in executive roles, that's not too much, um, really. It's it's literally half what the average nonprofit CEO in Southeast Michigan makes based on our survey of nonprofits. And we're talking about uh, everything from um, uh, the, the food bank to the Detroit Zoo, and whose CEO makes uh, $470,000 a year. Um, so I kind of look at this and think, okay, if the, if the CEO of the, of, of the uh, Detroit Zoo uh, makes almost half a million dollars, um, and why why are we valuing that as a society um, way better, way more than we are valuing uh, the management of a $25 billion operation that services food stamps uh, and uh, Medicaid and, and, and has it touches at least a third of the, of the 10 million people in the state? Mm. So... Um... Uh, we we have seen how that worked over the last twelve months during the pandemic. Give us some some examples, I guess, of ways in which you think it just it just comes up short, and that and that splitting it again would make it more effective, especially for something like this pandemic. Yeah, I, I think we need a standalone public health department. I think it, this this pandemic has really exposed. Uh, not just um, the shortcomings of, of, a, of a huge uh, bureaucracy at MDHHS, but also that there is not enough focus on public health. Um, we've heard it over and over from the, from the experts on the inside, everyone from, from Joni uh, Caldoun to Governor Whitmer herself, uh, that we have underfunded public health in the state for a long time. We were not prepared uh, to stand up testing. We were not prepared to stand up contact tracing. I mean, just think about back, I didn't include this in the column, but the, the sort of bungled effort at the beginning to try to get contact tracing, the Whitmer administration went out and tried to hire a political organizer mm. uh, because they needed to organize volunteers uh, to create a, a volunteer army. Um, that was sort of what the political people in the Whitmer administration knew what to do, uh, was to go hire someone who, who could who could run a phone bank, basically, because there was no infrastructure in place 
uh, for contact tracing. And the county health departments this is another aspect of it. We have over four dozen local health departments. Now, in Detroit, we have our standalone. Uh, Wayne County has its own for the suburbs of Wayne County. Oakland and Macomb have their own standalone. Outstate, you have, um, uh, you know, in more populous states, they have their own standalone county health department. But then you have multiple counties that have like districts together uh, where there'll be three, four, or five uh, um, local uh, counties that combine and have a, have a health department. Um, so we have a very decentralized system. And I'm not sure if we need a more centralized system. Um, uh, but, but other states do. And, and I know from watching the decentralized system is that there are shortcomings, there are communications breakdowns, uh, and not just in this pandemic. I mean, we watched in the Flint water crisis mm-hmm. and it came out in very much in the, uh, in the records uh, of, of the Flint water crisis. There was a major bureaucratic, um, uh, infighting between the, the Genesee County Health Department and the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, neither of them could decide how to proceed um, on on investigating the Legionnaires outbreaks that proved to be very deadly uh, in in Flint. Um, and they, they these two agencies couldn't even come to an agreement on how to tell the public, much less not even they didn't even tell doctors that there was a Legionnaires outbreak. Uh, and it was and 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 it's it's just kind of points to. Um, some real problems in, in having such a decentralized system where nobody seems to be completely accountable. Um, and, and, there's a, and at the end of the day, what we found there was a whole lot of finger pointing. Um, in the pandemic, we've also seen other structures um, um, where the, the clearly we need a new investment in public health. The, the system that we use for, for tracking disease Communicable disease in Michigan was designed in the early 2000s. Uh, it, was a, it was a computer system that was that was installed that went online in 2004. Um, and what we what we found out was um, this system has not been at all equipped for tracking outbreaks of communicable disease, in, in particular COVID-19. So what happened was last year, um, to, to when we started reopening the economy in the summertime. Uh, the state had to go in and open up an account for a consumer-grade version of SurveyMonkey in order to send out a survey every week to um, county health departments. Tell us where you're finding uh, um, um, outbreaks by setting. Like, is it a bar? Is it a school? Is it a social uh, gathering? And then they send this back, and the data lags by almost two weeks. Wow. And it's almost it's almost useless, um, and because we 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 don't have any. Uh, we don't have any integrated computer system uh, that that puts all that information together when it you know finds out that you know um, you know Joe Smith tests positive for COVID nineteen and he was in a bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have any way to put those those two pieces of data together. So they've had to create these kind of uh, workarounds to basically try to get some sense of where this virus is and where it's spreading. So so you write that Governor Whitmer examined whether to split up this department during her transition into the governor's office, and apparently now she's thinking about it again. How likely is it that she'll actually do this? And we should make it clear, this is something she could just do on her own. I mean, it's an executive order that made this happen in the first place, and, and she could reverse that uh, if she just decided to. 
Yeah, the, the governor has the power to reorganize state government, uh, with the exception of the Department of Education, which is governed by the Board of Education, which is a whole different constitutional uh, issue for another day. But um, but so she could do this at any time. Um, I don't know how serious this is, but when you have a new director coming on now after the um, uh, Robert Gordon re- abruptly resigned, that's what kind of prompted me to write about this because Gordon's resignation, the governor basically kind of said he was burned out. Uh, that was the only explanation she's given, um, and and for rightfully so. I mean, if, if you're if you've been running this twenty five million dollar uh, 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 organization day and night, plus you're also managing the state's response to the you know, biggest health crisis in a century, uh, then, you know, naturally someone's going to burn out. Mm-hmm. And and so now Elizabeth Hertel, who's very qualified, uh, uh, pro- you know, professional and, and in state government, uh, has, has, has risen into the director's uh, seat. Uh, and it just kind of begs the question of, you know, is this a time with a new leader in place to maybe rethink this um uh, this whole structure of this department. It is, there's no other state department anywhere near the size of this, of this one. Um, and, uh, and, and, and not nearly as expansive, uh, and, and far reaching. So the responsibilities, uh, you know, are really immense. And, uh, these are the, this is, it's budget season, uh, in Lansing. It's when lawmakers start, uh, uh, picking over the governor's budget and, uh, and spending priorities. Um, this may not be the year. I mean, we're still knee deep in a pandemic, and this this might not make sense right now. Um, but I'm raising this question now because it you know the, the longer term, um, you know, if if we don't learn from uh, some of the mistakes made in this pandemic, uh, we'll we'll simply repeat them, and, and more lives and, and law will be lost in the next one, and and more you know economic turmoil will be um, suffered in the next one as well. And so, one of the frustrating things about this also is this is not what the legislature, for instance, is on the governor's back about. Uh, this is not what uh, they're talking about in terms of using what power they have to leverage change in, in, in government. They're, they're busy trying to, I guess, assert their own power to, uh, to, to make decisions about uh, about restrictions and 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 covid response and 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 things like that but i but i wonder whether there is any role for them to be playing here to try to push this along i mean it, it is an executive function uh, but but the legislature often wants the executive to do things and finds ways to to assert itself yeah sure i mean the legislature if if they wanted to you know signal hey we want we want to see something like this happen we and um, oh, and we also want to make some investments in public health. I, I'm sure the governor would come to the table on that. Um, uh, I'm not so sure how focused they are, and this is one of the problems in state government and term limits. Um, these kind of decisions have to either be made by an executive who just is going to do it, and that's what Rick Snyder just did. Um, and and moved and and he had the um, he had the legislature. Uh, in, in in his party, and, and so he had the political capital coming out of re-election just to do it. Um, but this would not be obviously as simple uh, in divided government uh, like anything else. Um, uh, but at the same time, um, you know, the, 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 these kind of changes in the way uh, way government uh, operates or services are delivered, 
they require um, legislators who understand it, who get it, who have had time to think about it. Mm. Um, and that is, uh, you know, we could get into a term limits conversation almost on any subject, but that is another example where um, there's not that many people out there in the legislature who probably are given this much this much thought right now. Mm. They're they're fighting the, the daily fights right now over you know uh, restaurant closures and and mask wearing. Um, but they're not. But there's not a lot of folks in Lansing who are think, sitting back and thinking about okay, if we're gonna if we, if this were to happen, another pandemic were to happen to my grandchild. Mm. Um, what would I want? What kind of life and world would I want them? And what kind of government would I want them to to have in place? Um, I, there's not a whole lot of that kind of long-term thinking going on right now. Mm. So for the governor, then, what makes this a tough decision? What is it that I guess ter- her decision might might turn on if she decides, hey, I actually am not going to go ahead and 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 do this? What would be the reason to keep it the way it is? Uh, reason would be, the, be that you know there's there's there is some argument that there's there's a there's been some success in in the integration of um, of Medicaid programs, um, although we still have a system in the state where we ha- we keep Medicaid uh, behavioral health separate from Medicaid physical health, um, and that's uh, that's a much bigger broader topic, but. Um, um, but but so there's uh, there because we used to have actually a Department of Mental Health um, in in Michigan under the Engler administration, and then we used to have three departments basically. Um, this 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 one department used to be three uh, back in the Engler years, and then they started getting consolidated, um, and and moved into um, and, and, and eventually moved into this one huge behemoth. Um, so um, so there there'll be there and you know um, also. There's people in the bureaucracy who will defend it. I mean, and there already was some some response. We, we published a guest column uh, from Marianne uh, Udall Phillips, a former uh, director of the uh, Human Services Direct Department under Governor uh, Granholm, and and uh, she argued, made a laid out a case of uh, there's been some success in this. Um, putting aside kind of my arguments about the sort of structure and 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 really who would want this hundred eighty two thousand dollar job. When you've got all this work in front of you um, and, and all these responsibilities, plus the the, the predecessor, uh, the last uh, MDHHS director under Rick Snyder, is now facing manslaughter charges uh, in the uh, Flint water crisis um, uh, under a case that seems to hinge on that he didn't pay close enough attention to um, so to some really you know down in the weeds details every day in Flint. Um, uh, that um, you know, his defense has said it should have been the responsibility of the you know of the water scientists and and communicable disease experts um, uh, who who had the day to day contact. So I mean, the headaches this 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 job brings, uh, and as we've seen with Robert Gordon leaving in two years, uh, the the responsibilities. Uh, you know, it's just it's just a recipe for burnout. Okay, Chad Livengood, Senior Editor at Cranes Detroit Business. Always great to have you here on the show. Thanks Thanks very much for joining us for this conversation. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to have a look at a new podcast which explores the role of black Americans in taking and securing their own freedom during and after the Civil War. Wayne State University history professor Kadata Williams will join us to talk about her work on that podcast. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Detroit Today.